All right, let's go to 1 Corinthians 12. I'm looking at the clock, and you know, I didn't finish my notes last week, and I'm just looking at the clock, and I'm thinking, whew, how many times do you warm up leftovers uh, before you say they're done? This, anyway, I do have, I do have something that I, I need to show you today, and so I'm going to do that. It's part of the message. It wasn't in notes last week. It's in notes this week. And so every time I, I bring my notes back, I redo more to it. And so this set of notes could go on for months. I, I realize that there's just so much to it. And I, there's something I want to touch on, especially today, that I think might be helpful for you. But first, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we rejoice in what you have done for us. The words that we have heard and sung today, where our hope is, the fact that you were lifted up for us, that you died for us, that you can change our lives forever, and all these things that have been expressed in song, in our prayers, and all that we've done already this morning. We thank you, Lord, for that. You deserve our praise. You deserve the glory. Certainly, that's true. But may our hearts be willing to give it and to give it in a generous fashion, and to give it willingly. As we sit down together and open up your word, pray that you help us today to get a grip on the passage before us, to understand it best, to be able to use it in our own lives and in our church life, to bring glory to your name. More than anything, we want this church to please you, and as we aim for that, and as we submit ourselves to your word, we open ourselves up to your Holy Spirit's work to make us what we ought to be. We thank you, Lord, that you are going to do this, and you do it in such a beautiful, loving way. We thank you, Lord, for that, too, and pray that you guide us to our study today. In Jesus' name, amen. In chapter 12, 1 Corinthians, verse number 4, we started in on the verse, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. The varieties of gifts. To impress that upon you, I, I could say it again and, and again and again, that each of us as a believer in Jesus Christ, we've been given a gift for a purpose. And that purpose is not for ourselves. It's for everybody seated around you and for the church body as a whole that's not even in this building, but that God has throughout this world. We have been given gifts, each of us, by the Holy Spirit to be used for the sake of building up the body of Christ. And I want all of us to be convinced of that, that the gifts are not for ourselves, but for everybody else. And if we all come to that same conclusion... It's hard to imagine what the Lord will do when the body is operating completely efficient as he designed it. And that would be so exciting to see that in the midst of, of what God's church could look like on this world if Christians would understand that we're here to serve one another and help each other to grow to be more like Christ. Wouldn't it be beautiful to see the church as a whole look like Christ? Someday we will see that. Someday we'll step into glory, and there shall be, without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing, right? Presented before the Father, 
to the glory of the sun, and oh, that's going to be a great day. In the meantime, we're all part of a of a of a a um, church organism that Christ has created. We're all part of this, and our goal should be the same. There's a story that uh, when the big days of of uh, the '60s, they were talking about putting a man on the moon, and how incredible that was going to be. And uh, John F. Kennedy had the privilege of uh, touring NASA as they were putting the building uh, together and preparing for some of these incredible events that were about to happen. And he's walking through the facilities and he's seeing all the equipment and talking to these incredibly intelligent individuals who are all part of the team to get a man to the moon. And he'd interview them and ask them, so what's your part here? What's your part here? What's your part here? What do, what do you do in that, at this place? And, and uh, all of these people were very intent on describing their particular task. And as he came out of the big room, he walked into the hallway, and there was a man there with a, with a broom in his hand. Obviously the janitor. But JFK walked up to him as well and said, So, what, what is it that you do here? He says, I'm trying to put a man on the moon. Sometimes we think only in our own view of what we're here for. Think bigger, folks. What, is, what are we here for? We're here to see that the church matures into the image of Christ. Every single job has that part to it. Let us not forget, that's why we're here. We're here to see that everybody grows up to be like Christ. When we start talking about gifts, the variety of gifts, and like I said, I've got a lot of notes right here in front of me. And we start in on lists. The list of apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors, teachers and, and uh, tongues and prophecies and knowledge. And I can't go through it and label every single one. But there are lists, and we've been talking about those. You could find them in, in different portions of Scripture, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4. There's many different places, and we're going to try to investigate all of those that we can. And I don't know that we will ever exhaust the list. I don't know that Scripture exhausts the list. But we do have the big ones on there. And um, because we have such a list, and because we know that we're called to have these gifts, there's always the question marks that come to our mind as to, so which one is mine and which one, um, if they work today, should I be doing? And that starts the next dialogue as to which ones should work today and which ones don't work today. And is that a matter of opinion? Is that a matter of location? For some people say that some gifts are not necessarily needed in the United States, but they are needed in a country like Haiti, right? Generally, they put it in a mission setting or a third world setting, and they say, but some of these gifts that you say aren't effective today are effective in other locations. And there's a dialogue that's been out there for years and years and years, folks, about whether or not there are gifts that have stopped 
and whether or not there are gifts that uh, must just continue to go. And there are churches and denominations that still use some of the gifts that other churches say, no, no, that's not for today. You've been down that road with thinking before? Easy to solve? Not easy to solve. And I'll tell you why. Because many, many times, those arguments, if we call them, or discussions, let's put them in a nice set, all right? Those discussions that come with these questions usually involves, but my experience is, or my opinion is, and you may have caught on by now, but I use God's Word as my authority. I think that's what Bible churches should do. And I say, what does God say? And I take my opinion out of it. I, I don't like to, to influence it. I don't want to say God is not capable of that. I never will say God is not capable of things. But at the same time, I think there's a very logical argument to set before you today as to why when I was talking last week about the role of the apostle, I said that's not for today. And I said that of the prophet too. That's not for today. I'm going to show you why I think that, because it's not just those two, but it goes also into several other ministries or uh, gifts as we're going to present them, that I think the same, same teaching ought to be considered when you're thinking about any of them. You ready? All right. I've got a chart coming up here on the wall. I've got to have some room. You may say, okay, uh, I want that copy of that chart. I'll make you a copy of the chart. But if you take my class in Dulas on New Testament, commercial time, uh, this is not only a chart you get used to, but you memorize. All right? For some reason, that's what we do. Uh, New Testament time chart. Let me talk to you about this for a minute. Across this top line, from here to there, is the church age. All right? You're living in it right now. All right. You want to put the church on it, if this is a timeline from here to there, we might be right here. We might be. Maybe even closer than that. If the Lord should come today, wouldn't that be great? Woo! Boy, that would be it. That would be the end of the church age. The church age starts in AD 33. Day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. All right? That's the church age. Prior to that is Old Testament era. Yes, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John fit into the Old Testament era. It's hard to wrap your brain around that sometimes. I know, because, but that's in my New Testament. Yes, I know it is. Uh, but Jesus came to meet the Jews who were under the law. And it wasn't until he paid the price on the cross that the law was completed and fulfilled in its fullest measure. And it wasn't until he ascended and the Holy Spirit came and started the church that we moved on to the next episode. Right? So in the simplest way of saying it, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John give the biography of the life of Christ, and that was finishing up an era of the Old Testament. The church did not exist yet. You hear that? The church did not exist. When Jesus was teaching, he was not teaching the church. I would say it slowly. 
because so many times we we take the passages out of Matthew or Luke or something and we apply them directly to the church and we say it's the teaching of the church and it really wasn't folks it was Christ teaching the Jews based on their law what they needed to know about the truth all right the church did not exist. If you would have talked to Peter or James back in those days when they were walking with Christ, and they said, yeah, Jesus taught about the church today, you would have been totally surprised by that. Because if he brought up the word church, they would have scratched their head and said, what is that? You're thinking Matthew 16, aren't you? Don't be afraid to say so. You know that whole passage of if somebody has done something wrong and you go and talk to them and they don't listen to you and then you go and you grab somebody else and you go and talk to them and they don't listen to you and then you take it before the church and they oh, they didn't listen to us. So, he's a Gentile. Toss him out the door. That same word is the word congregation. The same word used all the way through the Old Testament that Moses was taught how to deal with people in the congregation of the Jews on how to help them or correct them if they had disobeyed or they caused a conflict. And to throw them out of the congregation was to take them outside the camp in the Old Testament and put them out there and say, hey, you don't belong in the camp. And if you go through Leviticus or Numbers, you'll find lots of verses that make sense suddenly. Because those were the instructions for discipline for Old Testament saints and the congregation back then. All right? You say, well, what do I do with that now, Pastor? You just messed up church discipline forever. No, it's a simple process that is similarly said at the end of 1 Thessalonians, at the end of 2 Thessalonians, in the 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and several other places. It's repeated for the church in a different way. But when Jesus was teaching it there to his disciples, he was not telling them how church discipline works. He was teaching them what an Old Testament discipline already was. They already had it in their law. They just didn't understand it. They were living in a day like that. Anyway, set that all aside, because these verses, that even Matthew 24 and 25, we're talking about uh, the, a bunch of parables and the Olivet Discourse, and uh, two people are in the field and one's taken, and all those passages. And you say, rapture! Well, you can't have a rapture without a church, and if he's not teaching about the church, why would he teach about the rapture? He's not teaching the rapture. He's teaching in those passages, Jewish thinking on eschatology has nothing to do with the church. Anyway, that, folks, can be a whole semester of classes, and if you want it, I've got it. All right? But just to let you know, the church started here in 33 AD. After the ascension of Christ, Pentecost takes place, Acts chapter 2. That's where it begins, because the Holy Spirit came down among the people. They were led to faith in Christ based on his finished work at the cross. They were put into the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit does that. He not only redeems us, or if you want to use the word, he, he remakes us, he regenerates us. He also then indwells us, and he baptizes us into the body of Christ and seals us there. That's the body of Christ. It did not exist before this as an organism we call the church today. 
it starts here, and it moves forward. And every single day, it seemed, the book of Acts was saying that the Lord was adding to that number. We're still in that mode, by the way. This is still the church. We're still living in the time of the Acts of the Apostles. <laughs> because we're somewhere here in chapter, some people call it chapter 29, is where we are today, perhaps. Uh, because we're still living in the era of the church and its growth. The church and its growth. That's important to understand. And I say all this for a very good reason. I'll show it. But the day is coming when the book of Revelation is going to be fulfilled from chapter 4 in the end. That has not happened yet. It's going to. But in the meantime, here we are walking through the era of the church. So far okay? That's where we are. I have to identify where we are. Because that church grew at a certain way, a certain process. Just like a child growing you don't expect your child who's six months old to drive your car, do you? I hope not. That'd be scary. The church had to grow. The church had to grow. It was a brand new thing. Brand new. They didn't have instructions. How does this thing operate? And so as the church is founded in the 30s, we have an awful lot of apostles teaching Preaching, praying, teaching, preaching, praying, teaching, preaching. That's all they did. They spent time together going from house to house teaching, 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 teaching. Because that's what they needed to do. The people didn't know what the church was. So an apostle's gift was to help them with something they could not read in Scripture because the Old Testament didn't talk about it. So the apostles had a ministry here in the 30s, and that's what you read about in chapter 2 and chapter 3 and chapter 4, 5, 6. You start into the book of Acts and read about it, and they had things to overcome. They didn't know what to do. They had to stop and say, let's pray about that one. And then they worked through their issues because they had to trust the Lord to tell them what to do, and he was telling them through the apostles. Right? Now, as it starts to move on, Persecution breaks out. This wonderful guy by the name of Saul. Remember him? They changed his name to Paul. All right. He started persecuting the church because he said that's the right thing to do. He thought he was doing God a favor. So he starts persecuting the church. The church starts to scatter because of it. They go into places they never dreamt of going before. They couldn't believe it. A Samaritan came to know the Lord. Really? Samaritans can be Christians? Oh, and then a Gentile was saved. Who'd ever think of that? Gentiles were being saved. They started into this expanding ministry era. The early 40s are starting to go out into towns they would have never gone to before. Peter even confessed to that. He says, Lord, I won't touch anything unclean. Remember the blanket that came down full of all those interesting animals? Eat them, Peter. No, 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 I don't do that. It was to say, I'm sending you to a place you don't want to go. But you've got to go. Because I've got people here who need to be part of the church. Peter, go. Philip, go. John, go. They started to step outside of the regions of Jerusalem and into Judea and into Samaria and down into places where the Gentiles were. And then they had to have a conference because suddenly these, un, uh, these non-Jews 
these Gentiles were coming to know Christ as Savior. Are they really a member of the body of Christ? That doesn't seem right to us. That's what they were wrestling with. If they are part of us, shouldn't they act like Jews? Shouldn't they follow the Jewish laws? Shouldn't they do what we have done all our life? I mean, we're Christians now, but we didn't get rid of the law. We're still doing it. So what, what do we do with a Gentile that's saved? So they brought all the big wigs together in AD 49. And they sat down in Jerusalem, and there's Paul and Barnabas and Peter and James and all these others. And they're all seated together, and they said, all right, Gentiles are being saved. And one of them says, well, I know it's true because the Holy Spirit came upon them, just like he did with us. And they're telling their stories. And they all conclude this is a magnificent thing. Do you know that was such a pivotal moment in history? What if they had said, impossible? What would have come of it all? But instead they looked at it and said, wow, God could do great things. He could save a Gentile. So what do we do about it? What do we do? Well, they're part of the church now. Okay, but don't they have to follow rules? Oh, yeah. What are the rules? Well, let's say, act like a Christian. There were certain things like, you know, what they were supposed to do and not do, but most of it comes down to the same thing I would tell you today. Don't do that. All right? They said, this is what we want you to do. It wasn't based on the law. It was based on Christian testimony. And they simply said, just tell them that. And if they want to collect for the poor, we'd love that too. So, John came away happy. Peter came away happy. James came away happy. Paul came away happy. They all said, great, now we know what to do. And so Paul and Barnabas take off. And they start into their ministry. They write a book to a group called the Galatians. And they say, oh, you guys need to know this. Because there was a church there struggling. Do we go back to law? Do we go back to law? Do we go back to law? He says, ah! So he's correcting them. And he's telling them exactly what they decided at that meeting. James picks up his pen and he writes a book to the Jews. The Jewish church. And he says, now listen folks, this is what it is all about. Anybody who wants to live by the law, understand this. If you break one point of the law, you're guilty of all of it. Aren't you glad you're a Christian? He didn't say it that way, but quite that's the essence of his whole book was, don't go living by the law, you can't do it. Christ fulfilled it. And so these two books are written. So here the church has existed now for nearly a decade, a little bit more than a decade, and they had no New Testament. Understand that? It wasn't written yet. Everything was told to them by the apostles, by the apostles, by the apostles, by the apostles. We go into the 50s. Paul's missionary journey, swinging around to Macedonia, down to Greek southern cities of Corinth and Athens and such. He's leading people to the Lord. Churches are starting up. They have ministries going on in Gentile places. Paul says, you know what? I really need to communicate with these people about what they're supposed to do. So he starts to write books. You've got First and Second Thessalonians, the first two off the press. You've got a book called First Corinthians. Mark it. That's where we're studying. Second Corinthians and the book of Romans. Aren't those pretty good books to help somebody understand Christianity? Romans especially. Boy, did they need that textbook. That was the theology textbook of the day. 
Paul wrote that so that people would know what Christ has done for them. First and second Thessalonians. Don't give up. It's going to be tough. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. That's his message all the way through there. First and second Corinthians. Don't do it that way. <laughs> that was pretty much the message of first Corinthians. Because they had really messed up the church service. And the gifts. And they didn't know what to do with them. And they were promoting some, and they were demoting some, and they just had it all messed up. How much of the New Testament did they have to read from to learn? They were dependent on the apostle and the prophet to tell them these things. When you get into the 60s, I always say it this way, the Holy Spirit came to the apostles and said, you know what, you guys aren't going to live much longer. You better write this down because you're not going to be here anymore. You're not going to be able to walk around and tell people about this. Paul ends up in prison. What a perfect opportunity. Start writing, Paul. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Don't you love those books? They were written from a guy in prison who didn't know he'd ever get out. These books here. Philippians, Philemon. He's writing to Philemon and Colossae. First Timothy. Timothy, this is how you do church. This is how you do selection of elders. This is how you do it. And he gives him instruction. Peter comes up here. This is how you suffer. How you live godly in the midst of an ungodly world. You have uh, Titus in here. Titus, I left you in Crete for this reason, so that you can get elders here. And you could tell this church how it operates. All of these were instructional books that came at a time of intense testing of the church. It had been maturing, but it had matured from how to do it and how not to do it. And most of us grew up that way too, didn't we? This is how you do something. This is how you don't do something. And you've been corrected and you've been encouraged. That's what these books did. These books were now designed to teach them specifically how to keep it going, keep it going, keep it going. The testing era. Notice the majority of the New Testament was written then. That's important. Matter of fact, the Gospels were written right in this time too. The book of Matthew, probably around 58 A.D. The book of Mark, around 62. Luke, around 62. John, he's going to write way back here in the 90s. But here, I want to impress upon you. The church started in 33, went all the way through the 30s, all the way through the 40s, just about all the way through the 50s, before even one gospel was written. Does that stun you? Who shared the gospel? A person called an evangelist. As these books were being written, the need for an apostle became less. The need for the prophet became less. The need for the evangelist. Now, I know what evangelists do today, okay? But they had evangelists in the church. Why were the evangelists in the church? I thought they were all saved. Well, their ministry was to share the gospel with the people and teach it to them because it hadn't been written yet. It's written now, so what do we do with it? We take it to people who don't know, right? Isn't that what an evangelist does today? They go out there and they tell other people. But this was within the church. These ministries existed. What was the purpose of tongues? 
Well, it started in Acts chapter 2. They had to communicate the gospel message to somebody who spoke a language you don't speak. And God gave a miraculous capability of speaking in a language you've never spoken before. A couple weeks ago, my daughter, Abby, you saw her picture up there. She says, Dad, I want to do something different with my Bible study this year. I I want an audio Bible. I said, okay. She says, but I want my family members to make it for me. In other words, read me a book and record it and send it to me. I've picked all the little ones, all right? (laughs) That's what I've done so far. But I picked all the little ones. So my first one I read for her, uh, let's see, which one was that? What's that? No, I didn't. I didn't go there yet. I done Habakkuk. All right, I've done First Peter. It was First Peter. I did First Peter, and then I did Second Peter. So I got First Peter all done. Put it on my little com- computer email system. Push the button, and whoop, off it went. So I sent her a note. I said, "I just sent you First Peter," and I said, "Boy, was that great! I've never spoken Swahili before." I didn't really speak in Swahili. I couldn't do it to save my life. But if the Lord gave me the ability to speak Swahili on the spot, you know what? He's capable of that because he once did that with a donkey. Not Swahili, but a donkey was speaking words that a man argued with. And that's another part of the story that confuses me. But who would ever argue with a donkey? Nevertheless, God is capable. But in the program of the church... He used particular gifts early on because they didn't have a copy of God's Word to say, this is my authority. And so, they had the authority of an apostle. The apostle didn't need to have that authority after God's Word was finished. They stepped back and they said, that's what you look to. That's your instruction. It's not me. The prophet, the same role. He had a job to confirm God's word. Speak it out, speak it out, speak it out. It's recorded now. He says, okay, that's not for me. I don't do that anymore. The gifts of of evangelism in their original set was just to proclaim the gospel to people who had never heard it before. We still do that. But that was in the church. That's what their role was, in the church. So that the church, Ephesians 4, read it, Chapter 4, verse 11, he gave to some as apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And that's the equipping of the saints. Not evangelism like save the souls, but to teach them what the gospel was. These were written, that role changed. Can God change a role? Oh, yes, he can. And I think he did. But here's my simple picture. You understand this? As the years went by, some of the ministries became less necessary. I would include those of like somebody with the ability of healings who can go around and touch somebody in their head and heal them. Can God heal? Yes. I would never deny that the rest of my life. Never. But does God have one person with a gift that walks around touching people, healing them? I don't think so. Why? Because I think it was there to authenticate the messenger. How do you know this man's from God? Wow, he just brought a guy from the dead. 
if that gift was still available today, wouldn't we have a problem with hospitals being overstocked with people? Or this COVID thing could have been solved. I don't know what to say about all that, but I don't think anyone's being brought back from the dead that way easily either. Can God do it? Yes. Does God pick somebody in the church and say, you're going to be the healer because this church needs it? It would be great if he did because I think we've got some people who need help. But he doesn't do it that way. How do I know that? Because early on, you read of the Apostle Paul being able to do that. You remember the guy that fell out of the window? Because the pastor preached too long. I see what time it is. Stay away from the windows. All right. I don't have that gift. You're in trouble. Paul brought him back from the dead. I think that's what happened there. All right. Later on, he's writing letters in the book of Philippians and such and says, Oh, I left so-and-so sick. I had to go. They were sick. We left them there. Why didn't he heal them? Just different instances that as the years went by, some ministries ceased to be necessary. Because the church was in a new growth era of its life. We are in a place where we have, as a church, have already been through the foundation, the expanding, the maturing, even the testing. We're living in this time frame here. We're expecting the Lord to come. We're still reading God's Word, right? Aren't we? Yes. And that's our teaching. Do we need the Apostle Paul to walk into this room right now? No. Why? Because he's written it down for you. It's already there. It's already done. So we're on that growth process. We're learning from it. We're growing so we can minister and be accurate in our ministries. So, folks, when I talk about the fact that this gift isn't for today or such like that, understand where I'm coming from. The way the Lord has designed his church, early on you gave somebody a bottle when they were a baby, but you don't do it when they're 15 years old. And that's what he did with gifts, too. And he has a variety of them. A variety of them. So when the Corinthians are being addressed on tongues and apostles and prophets, guess when they're living? In an era where they're supposed to know these things, but they've got them all messed up. The church wasn't grown up enough to take those ministries off the page. So don't read 1 Corinthians like, well, why aren't we speaking in tongues today? Right? It's because they were in that era. We are not. Make sense? That's what I just wanted to impress upon you as we walk through this chapter. Varieties of ministries. Understand with varieties and varieties of gifts and varieties of effects, all of those things also have to have time woven into them. And the Lord's work woven into that. And understand it, that the Lord is going through a process of maturing his church. When we get to heaven, none of the gifts are needed. Because then we will be like Christ. In the meantime, let's take the ones he's left for us and use them to all grow together. So we all put a man on the moon, right? That's our goal. That we're all on the same page with this. And we're all growing together with this. But understand the maturing process that the Lord has taken his church through over the last 2,000 years. 
to be honest, if we go back to this era and plug ourselves in here, it's almost like you right now, many of you, saying, well, I'm going to go back and be a teenager. You know what? You don't look like a teenager anymore. Don't act like one. Okay? If we've grown up, let's grow up. Let's be what God has designed us to be today. We're a growing, maturing church. Let's not go backwards. And that's what the Corinthians did. You understand? That's what I wanted to say. That's why he addressed them as he did. They backed up. They didn't go forward. So I wanted to say that to you. And that, I didn't even touch my notes yet. All right. You'll get these next week. They're right there. But when I say it, you'll know what I'm talking about now, right? Okay. Heavenly Father, help us. Oh, help us. We have so much to do, so much to grow. Help us to keep our minds clear in the process so we see it the way you see it, that we grow according to your plans, and not according to ours, our opinions, our denominations, our, our, you know, our experiences or anything like that. But help us to, Lord, keep an eye on your word and keep it in its context, historically and literally, just in its words, its grammar, in all the aspects of the way it's been designed. Let us be careful to observe how you have worked and how you're working today, that we might be in step with what your Holy Spirit is teaching us, that we can understand it best and grow well. So help us with this, Lord. It's not to condemn anybody. It's not to put anybody down. It's that we all be more like Christ as we go through this together. And we pray your blessing on it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.